0: where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today's going to be a great, great episode. Today, we get to sit down with Mark Cole, Mark is the CEO of all the John Maxwell companies. As you know, John has his hand in a lot of different places, and Mark is the guy that is right in the middle of making it all happen. He has more than 25 years of leadership and team development experience with incredible qualities that help him play an integral role in the shaping of John's vision and John's dreams, and he's the guy that makes it happen. There's nobody that's worked more closely with John over these last years, and you are going to see not only John's influence with Mark, I bet you're going to hear a lot today about Mark's influence on John, and today you are going to enjoy it. Mark and I did not know each other. We've got a great mutual friend named Jason Stoughton, and uh, Jason was kind enough to make the introduction to Mark, and boy, we got on the phone and just hit it. Off, I think today is going to be one of those note-taking days. A day you want to pull out a pen or pencil and, and pull up a chair. Great to listen to you while you drive on the first round, but then you're going to get to your office and go, you know what? I need to take down some of those notes. Mark gets it. He gets leadership and he gets spiritual leadership and that role that Christ plays in his life and the reason he wants to be his very best. So today is going to be a fun one. I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my time with the CEO of all the John Maxwell companies, Mr. Mark Cole. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Good to be here, my friend. Uh, Many, many reasons good to be with you. I've
1: always respected you. Love what you're doing with this uh, podcast, Lynch with a Leader. And
0: uh, man, I'm I'm ready to talk to you. I I hope it's being recorded, but this is just me and you, baby. And I'm glad we're gonna be able to help a lot of it, people today. It sounds good. It's it's crazy to think both in a, both of us have graced this earth as long as we both have have grown up on the same side of town and have never bumped into each other anywhere. It's uh, it's crazy I, to think about. I I agree, and you know I was just
1: at man, I was just at the place to where you you caused all kind of fun. Stuff with uh, playing baseball. I was just there last week with Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty and uh, Ike Rock. I'm th- there's so many connections, and it is good to uh, meet you. But now this is not the first time I've heard from you and your influence. I'm just glad to kind of be partnered up with you. Always admired you. And uh, by the way, my boss man guy I work for, John Maxwell. I was just texting with him just a few minutes ago. Said I was getting
0: on the phone with you. He said to tell you hello and tell your listeners they're doing a good thing tuning in to Lynch with a leader. Well, you are too kind, man. You work for the best. You know, now you work with this incredible leadership organization. You work right hand, right beside John leading it. Going back to childhood, did you always, Mark, see yourself as a leader? (laughs) The answer is yes. And this is crazy. And let me, let me explain. So yes, I did.
1: At five years old, I'm the baby of five. I grew up around leadership. My, my dad was leading his nonprofit. He was a leader of leaders in that little world. And, uh, I always got to see leaders. I was born later in their life. I was four. They were 40 when I was born. I was the baby of five. And I'll tell you, I can remember at five years of age, loving to tell people what to do. Mm. I loved telling tell people. <laughs> you, you know what I loved even more, Mike? I loved when they actually did what I told That's them right. to do. <laughs> now at five, there were not too many times that that would happen. But it was 17, and we may talk about this a little bit later today in the program, but uh, it was 17 when I read a John Maxwell book that actually gave me permission to lead. Everything up to that point, I loved the thrill of influencing people. I just didn't know when I was very awkward with it. I was a redheaded, high opinionated, high emotional person. Um, I don't know that I was always effective from five until 17 or 18, but it was 17 when I went, oh, I got this now. I know what this is all about. So I've I've seen myself as a leader. Again, wouldn't capture it that
0: way for a very long time. You know what's so interesting about your journey, Mark, is you sort of had it all laid out that you were going to move in and you began to work with your father. You were going to take over his company. And then you made a switch. You made a career switch to working with John and you didn't move in as John's number two or the leader of all of John's organizations. Tell everybody a little bit about how you started with the Maxwell organization and the the, the career leap that you made.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I will spare everyone the difficulty in whole, but I'll tell you in part, that when you're in an environment and you're not measuring up to that environment and you know that you're supposed to be called another, I call that becoming the worst version or the worst leader of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're still leading. You're still influencing. It's innate. It's something that you naturally do. But you're not leading toward the positive good of others and you're not driving the the success of the vision of the organization, I think we all need to take inventory and great leaders, and I want to be one, I'm not yet, but great leaders know how to assess their effectiveness while they're running 90 miles an hour. And I began to assess my effectiveness. I began to see how misaligned I was with my influence in helping that organization. And games, I want to tell you today, I wish I could say it was all sunshine and roses and everything was great, but it was a very, very difficult transition for me. It was a difficult transition for my dad who wanted me to take over uh, his life's work. It was extremely difficult. It was, a, it was difficult on our relationship for some time. And it was difficult on my ego. I, I went from the top of my little world. I mean, I was heir apparent. I was going hard and going strong. And it was a complete start over. You mentioned this, but I started with John 18 and a half years ago as a tele agent, working four people below John, five people in our organizational structure between myself and John Maxwell. <laughs> I don't know that he really knew my name for the first three years. Wow! And- Every one of the people that was between John Maxwell, the founder, and me were younger than me, less experienced than me, had not led at the level that I had led. But it was the best thing going because I do believe that great leaders know how to lead at every level of an organization, with or without a position. And it gave me, for the first time in my life,
0: the opportunity to grow my influence without my dad's coattail. Wow, what are lessons, Mark? I mean, now, now we'll get into this a little bit later. But you lead all six of John Maxwell's companies. You're heading all those up. What did you learn during that season of, of in some ways, falling off the map? I mean, you you fell off the organizational map of influence, but positional influence, but. What did you learn during that time that helps you be better now that, um, that you couldn't have learned otherwise? Well,
1: so I'll tell you this, Mike, and I've heard you say this on this podcast. I've heard you say it live publicly. I think one is most leaders rely on a position or another relationship to grow their influence. And what I learned during this time of a restart for me and working for people that didn't make the same decisions I would make, had not led perhaps at the level, what I realized is I was not going to wait on a position to be given to me or an opportunity to be open to me before I figured out how to influence where I am. And again, Mm -hmm. I, I know this question is for me, but one of the things I love, Mike, about you and what you do with Lynch, with a leader, as well as what you do when you're speaking. Man, you're out speaking to business leaders. You've got a strong faith persuasion, but man, you're out in the sports markets. You're, you're out with athletes. You're, you are diversifying yourself with influence and you're not using your position to do it. You're using your ability to connect with people. So the second thing that I learned from people like you and people like John Maxwell is utilize your people skills to expand your influence and not just your competence. Man, Mm. I walked from, it was two very different worlds. Now, it was a lot of the same persuasion and the people with the same values. So I was very fortunate with that. But it was, I was in a nonprofit world going into a for-profit entity to where the bottom line did mean something significant and did not have a business degree I was not competent in some of the P&L and, and, and financial responsibilities that began to be placed on me, but I was gifted at connecting with people. And so the third thing that I would tell you I learned was how to how to hire or attract people to my weaknesses. Mm rather than getting people on the team that were just like me. I was not great at business in the beginning. I do okay now. Some people would still be questionable whether that's great, but (laughs) I do okay now, but that was a learned Uh, uh, that was a learned discipline for me by getting people around me that was good at that. So growing what I learned in that season that I couldn't rely on the people that had known me all of my life. I couldn't rely on the influence of my dad. I couldn't rely on a position. I had to go and use other tools to become
0: successful. Were there times during that season, Mark, that you went, man, I've I've really royally screwed this up. I've, Blew it. Did you have any regrets during that time, especially during those tough early days of trying to get your foothold in that new world? I was so humble
1: and honored that I could be a part of a dreamer that was bigger than me. Hmm. That I, I truly I go back and live those first for sure, the six months of transition that was just difficult for every relationship that I had. I then go back and I live the first three years where I had no position but yet a lot of responsibility and I, and I really have no regrets in that. I, lo- I love that time and I draw from that time all the time. When I go from the stock room, which is where I was set up to make my phone calls for telesales to now my corner office, I love to go. It's a different building, different location, but I love to go back to the stock room and walk the 72 steps to my corner office now and remember in those Mm. 72 steps, the life steps that it took because it developed me. It grounded me, but it also allowed me to soar. That's so good.
0: That is so good. You know, as you think about it, I know you and I were talking a little bit before we went on the air that we're we're both this year approaching a, a, a looming number in our in our horizon. Uh, thankfully, it's still in the horizon now. The rearview mirror. But as you approach fifty, looking back at your years that you've grown in leadership, if you think about what leadership meant to you in your twenties and in your thirties yeah. and in your forties, how has it changed? For you through those decades? You know, Mike, I've got to tell you, and I got to tell your listeners,
1: you've done so good in prepping for uh, our conversation today. And and when I saw that question that you you sent me, it it caused me this morning, I I just really reflected. And Mm. I won't take all of our time here, but I'll tell you, you wrecked me with that question this morning. Mm. Before going on the air, before I got on the pre-call with you, This thought, this question has been on my mind the entire time because I believe that while I don't like rear view mirrors and looking in the past, I believe we're responsible on building on every season Mm. to become the full effect of why we were placed on this earth. I really do. So I've got an answer for you, but it's much deeper than my answer because I'm still riveted by the question. In my 20s, it was all about opportunities. I wanted every opportunity I could, every opportunity to lead. I would, I would go play sport. You know, you know how we are in the twenties. We're, we're, we're burning the candle at both ends. But there was not a bad opportunity in my twenties. I believe my twenties was all about opportunity. What more could I do? What more could I experience? How could I grow my influence and my experience? In my thirties, it was about increase. How much more could I gain, not only influence, but financially? I mean, the dollars in the retirement account and the, and the ability to give more, all, everything was a metric in my 30s, and I wanted the metrics to be better each and every year of my 30s. Now, there's still components of the 20s and 30s still here in my 49th year, but, but that was really the focus. In my 40s, it was about impact. I wanted to expand my impact. So it wasn't just the acquiring of things or acquiring of zeros behind a net worth. What it was was it was about the impact. Is my existence becoming more significant than what I'm acquiring. Mm. And and what you made me do, I'm not in my 50s yet. I'm 315 days away, if anybody's (laughs) counting, I am. But what I have discovered, Mike, is, you know what I want my 50s to be about? And this is raw. I don't know. You just made me think about this question this morning, but I want my 50s to be about reproduction. Mm. I want it to be more about what I'm getting done through others. And not necessarily all that I'm getting done within myself in it. And as I reflected on my 20s, 30s, and 40s, unfortunately, I stand here today to give you a report. It was all about me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know truth? what? I'm ready for. Yeah, and I'm ready for
0: my 50s to be about others. How can I reproduce through others? That's so good. Golly, that is so good. And you know, it's those it's those mile markers that come. And you look at them and you're like, I can't believe, you know, just the other day I was ordering something online and had to scroll down to my birth date. 1969 does not scroll to very easily anymore on the credit card application. You just keep you keep scrolling down, you finally get to your birthday, and you're like, what has happened? There are so many years in the rearview mirror. And then you reach a point, Mark, like you're at. And some people could look at it and go, dude, you've arrived. I mean, you work with the foremost leadership expert in the world. You work right right beside him. You travel with him. You speak with him. You lead great companies. You have a beautiful family. So here's my question. What continues to stretch you? What is it that drives inside of you to go, I don't want to settle for just where I am. Is there anything in particular that has sort of been there that whole in that engine room the whole time that continues to stretch you to be better and to be your best? Yeah,
1: you know, so again, I love this question. And, And when you say, you know, what is it that keeps me stretching? The first thing I'll say, and you said this in the question to me, it's John Maxwell. I mean, this is a 71-year-old guy that is always looking and reaching for a greater level of impact. And, and the, the, the application to that, Mike, for everybody listening is who I'm surrounding myself with is stretching me. It Mm, matters who we hang with, the things that you listen to, things like this podcast with Mike, the things that you pour into yourself are the things that's going to stretch you left to our own devices. I am convinced we're all resistant to change. We just want people to embrace our change. And I'm convinced that we're all embracing of comfort Because we all want a little bit easier. We always want a little bit more convenient. Look at cell phones. I mean, for years, Mike, you and I are old enough at 49 that we remember when there were bag phones for modular phones. We remember when we carried the bag phones around and then it became cool to get something really small. Well, now if you're an iPhone user like I am, the bigger one, the better. We, but, but here's why. is because everything's become on the screen. When it was going small, everything was just about where I can slip in my pocket, and this is just my phone I'm doing. Well, now that we're consuming content on our phones, now we want it bigger again. And so it never was about the size. It is about the comfort of what we're using our systems or our devices with. So back to your question. Find... People that will stretch you. Be it, here's what I'm, I have discovered of 18 and a half years of doing this. And, and, and by all accounts, I'm the second man. Now I'm a type A guy. I love being the first man of my life, and I am. But what I do is the second man. But here's what I've discovered I, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. So how do I keep stretching? I am constantly in an environment where I am not enough. Mm -hmm. Everything I have that I can bring to the table. John says it like this. If your dream is accomplished by your contribution only, you're not dreaming. You are not dreaming big enough. You're not dreaming enough. And you are really just about gratifying and accomplishing your own objectives. It's not a dream. It is absolutely within your control. Mm. The aspirational moment has to be there. So, so John also says this, I love this point. Um, if you're in, if you're the smartest person in the class, you're in the wrong class. Yep. So I stay away from classes where I am the best. I don't want to be the best in the class because I want people around me that
0: make me better and that stretch me. You know, we're so good, Mark, about telling our teenagers and telling our kids, show me your friends, show me your future. I'll show you your future. That really doesn't change as we get older, does it? I mean, show me your friends in your 30s, the people that you run with and the people that you strive with. um, I've really never thought about it that way. But that doesn't change as we get older. Not at all. Not at all. So as you, as you, and I I love, man, I was listening to one of your talks the other day, you were given, um, it was on, I think it was an L3 podcast that you had done out of Pittsburgh and they were playing a, a talk that you had done on transformational leadership. And it was so good. What do you think? It means because what I love about that 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 applies to the world that I work in where I call I call it the professional Christian world where we get we get paid to do the right things but there's lots of people out there trying to do that in a little tougher marketplace than I'm in uh, in the world that I work in. What does a transformational leader look like to you, and why is that so different than the normal leadership we see in our culture?
1: Well, so. We, we believe that a transformational leader has made the shift from success to significance. And, and I, I don't want to get ahead of perhaps where you want to go here, but for us, we've trained leaders. In fact, John's nonprofit, uh, when I first started leading John's con- uh, nonprofit, Equip, several years ago, we had trained uh, over 4 million leaders in areas that need leadership the most but have the least amount of access to it. We trained them. We knew them. We knew the names. We, we, we quantified them. We had it all down. By the time we were done, we had trained in every nation, every nation recognized by the United Nations, 192 nations. We had trained over 6 million leaders. These are women and men, Mike, that went through a three-year process. So it wasn't just we went and had an event and we trained them. We took them through a process and with a requirement to train others. It was legit. We got invited to – I'll never forget this. We got invited by the president of Guatemala to come in and begin doing transformational work with the top leaders of all seven streams of influence. We went in and said, no problem. We've trained over 90,000 people in Guatemala alone. We will mobilize them, and we'll start doing transformational work, which is less about learning than it is about applying, by the way. Because I believe a transformational leader doesn't talk the talk they walk the talk. And that's more than a colloquialism. What are you doing today with what Mike is bringing to you in this podcast? I hope we inspire you. I hope we entertain you. I hope we, you have a great experience in our time together today. But my biggest question is, is what are you going to do with it? Mm. Did you find something, hopefully, that Mark Cole said, and I know you'll find it in what Mike said, that inspired you to do something? That's the true report. And so we went into Guatemala, 90,000 people that we had trained. you know, we couldn't mobilize, but only we only mobilized 250 of those 90,000. When it wow. was time to do something, even at the level of an invitation from the president, we couldn't get the trained people do anything. But now, if we'd have went back with another training experience. We'd have been able to get the masses. What I found is, transform- trained leaders want more training. Transformational leaders want you to quit training
0: them so they can go do something. God, that is so, and it's no different here, is it? No different no. in the States. No different in the States. What is it about? So I, I go, I get the training. Why do you find that most, and maybe this is just your, your speculation, why do you find most just want more learning? more than they want the act of going out to do it why why is that
1: i because one i think i think we're trained through for for the first 20 years of our life 18 years of our life some of us that go into more uh um a longer college experience 25 years of our life we're trained to learn to learn to learn to take things in and even the university systems in the in the U.S. and there's people I'm sure that listens outside the U.S. Perhaps it's different in your country, but in the U.S. we we really train our kids on book knowledge. But but I mean, my college my college experience did not teach me what to do with my training. No, and and that's a big fallacy. So I think we spend all the formative years of our life learning stuff that really can't be put into practice. So that, that's the first problem. Now, you got me on a soapbox, and I'm going to get off of it quick. No, that's, good. We, got that's some, good. we got some educators that listen in, Mike, and I'm not a, I, I don't mean to offend you, but for us, what I believe that a, the difference between why people want to be trained is because, one, we've been trained for years, the formative years of our life we've been trained that training is good that uh, application is optional. Mm. That's what we've Mm. been trained for the formative years of our life. So one, it's easy to learn because we grew up learning. I think the second reason is is because it is much easier as, as human beings, as even leaders to talk about it, to hear about it, to be inspired by it, rather than to go roll up the sleeves and fail when we try it. John says this, you're never good the first time. But you can't get good without a first time. As leaders, we don't want to fail, and so therefore, to go apply. If really the theory is we're never good the first time, we don't want to go apply because we don't want to feel like a failure. But we're never going to get good until we begin to apply. So I think the second reason I'd answer to that and why people like training rather than transformation is they they enjoy the comfort of learning because it's difficult to apply. I think the final thing um, that that really is a huge driver of us wanting to learn is when when we go and apply and we go and try something bigger than ourselves, we've got to understand that everything worthwhile is uphill all Mm. the way. Boy, that's good. And, and John, John talks about this. He, he has this real, maybe it's a little cheesy illustration of, of he lifts his hands in the air and he says, you know the challenge with people? They have uphill dreams, but they have downhill habits. And you can't reach uphill dreams with downhill habits. There's, it's, it's impossible. And so there is this habit that we have that when the going gets tough or rough and and we're challenged, that we must be doing something wrong.
0: On the contrary, you're doing something right if you're doing something that feels difficult. Boy, that's so good, Mark. That is so good. And I, you know, that hits all of us. And I think all of us is even as driven as a person may be, we all want a little phase where we can take our foot off the accelerator. And go, man, there's mm. gotta be an arrival place. There's got and there's not. There is never, there is never a minute, especially if you're going uphill. If you're going uphill and you take your foot off, you're gonna go downhill even quicker. And and you know, it's that it's that striving piece that great leaders have within them. And that's why the climb's so lonely, I think, at times for guys. And I loved, I was listening to you talk the other day, Mark, and you had a great. You know, any organization, whether it's educators, whether it's business, you know, we all read up and I spent some time, of course, on the air with Tim Elmore and nobody knows Mm -hmm. the millennial culture better than Tim does. And he's just spot on it. And you talked about hiring and you, you made a comment and I'd love to hear you expound on a little bit for everybody listening in. When you are speaking to someone and you're in the hiring phase at your company, what is the biggest thing you're looking for in a young leader? What, what is the, the, the thing you go, man, that is, if I find this, that's what I'm looking for in a young leader. What would you say? So the value
1: of people, and I love, I, you're exactly right. There's not a better thinker and a better person to go to as it relates to connecting with millennials than Tim Elmore. Um, I, I think we get asked this question all the time in business environments. What about this millennial generation? How do we connect with a millennial generation? And I, I love John's take on this, and I've kind of adapted it to, to this comment right here. Every person, no matter the generation, wants to feel valued. Mm. and And what it's it's our top value in our, in our six companies is mm-hmm. va- the value of people. You know why? Because our purpose statement is we add value to leaders who multiply value to others. You can't add value to something if you don't see value in that. So you can't add value to a person if you don't perceive it as having value, if you don't perceive that person having value. So. The first thing that we look for in all of our interview process, and we have a pretty, uh, it works for us, I wouldn't say it's sophisticated, but we have a very regimented hiring process in all of our companies. Um, the thing that we're all training ourselves to look for is do they understand and embrace the value of people? Because we're a people development company. You can't develop people if you don't see the intrinsic value of people. That's one. The second thing that uh, we're super passionate about is women and men that want to grow. Hmm. A, a propensity to grow is a non-negotiable for us. And that can be done through uh, things like coachability. Are they coachable? Are they, uh, are they teachable? W- w- I ask questions like, what did you do? How did you respond the last time you made a mistake? the person that brought the mistake to your attention. And I, I want to hear how they're interacting both with the person that um, brought the, 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 the slip up, the mess up, the failure to their attention. I want to hear what their first, their first response was. And then my follow-up question always is, is, what did you do to engage somebody to help you learn from that experience? It's a heart toward coachability. It's a it's a propensity toward teachability that shows whether somebody really wants to grow in an environment. We don't look for perfect people. By the way, there are none. That's
0: right. At least That's I haven't right.
1: found them. They're all working around you, Mike, because you, you're <laughs> keeping them all. But but <laughs> I haven't found. That's them what any. they told and, you. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and for sure, I'm not perfect, so I don't look for perfect people. I only look for people that are most experienced, because I've found. The more experienced a person is, the less, the least, the more resistant they are to the change and innovation every organization should have. And I look for coachability, teachability. I look for people that have a growth plan as someone that I want to add to our team.
0: Does it scare you when you're interviewing somebody and they don't want to share a weakness with you? If you ask them, tell me about a time you failed. Tell me about one of your weaknesses. Does it, do red flags go off? and go up when you have somebody that doesn't want to share that with you? It does. It does. In fact, we
1: will slow down the, if we can't get a good story of a failure to debrief as the hiring team, we slow down the hiring process for that individual until we really get something to dissect on what they're going to do when they try something they've never tried before. John asked a great question, Mike, and this is, this is relevant to this, and it's relevant to the hiring process. I asked this question just a couple of days ago in an interview. When's the last time you did, did something for the first time? Wow. When's, when's the last time you've tried something for the first time? And people that can't answer that question pretty quickly, I, I get concerned of putting them on this team because innovation in, this, in today's technological economy, innovation is king. Mm. So if there is someone that can't talk about doing something for the first time or can't talk about the last time they did something for the first time, I get concerned that
0: we're going that we that we're going to not be a good environment for them. Well, that's good. And when, and that's when I mean, you guys do a great job because following John, you better be moving quickly. And boy, anybody, I'm sure people get left behind all the time and nobody gets a front row seat to him like you do. As you have watched him, you've read all the books, you teach all his books, you know, all his books. What are the biggest things though you've learned from him watching him up close? You know, we've all, I mean, I grew up, our generation was the enjoy life club tapes. Still got them under my desk. Mm Got to get a cassette recorder again. But those things were, (laughs) those were, those were leadership gold. The gospel according to Claude, all his stuff from those early days. As you follow him around and work along, rub shoulders with him, teach together, lead together, work together. What are the things you've learned from him about leadership up close that may not even be in a book? Yeah, so I, man,
1: again, loving this question. I I sat down um, three years ago. I do a year in review every year. Many of us do that. I'm sure Mike, many of the people on your calls do that because I know you're pretty consistent with reviewing a year and planning out a year. But. Um, I sat down about three years ago, and I said, okay, of all the things that I've learned from John, what are the five most impacting things I've learned from him? And so I'm going to give you these five. I won't teach from them. If you want to go deeper in any of them, let me know. Yeah. But um, I'll, I'll just give a quick brief on, on each one. The first thing that I've learned from John is the value of asking questions. Ask questions. As leaders, you know what, and, and this is for sure true with me, I love telling people. I told you about, I wanted, I knew at five years old, I love telling people what to do, and I liked it even more when they did it. Um, <laughs> but but I, asking questions is very disconcerting to me as a leader. Because first, when I first started doing it, I, per, I perceived that people thought I didn't know the answer, and so I was asking from a lack of knowledge. And that's scary mm. as a leader. Mm. The second thing asking questions does is it makes you vulnerable because you may not get the answer you want. And as a leader, I don't mind asking questions. I just want you to give me the answer I'm looking for. That's right. That's right. The third, the third, the third reason that asking questions is very difficult is because it slows you down from the pace we all keep. Because I'd much rather tell people where we're going than ask them what they think where they think we should go. It's much quicker. It's more efficient. So when John began to teach me, in fact, he wrote a book, Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And he began to mentor me about 18 months ago that my question-asking ability as a leader was holding me back from getting the team mobilized and unified behind my leadership. It struck me. Wow. The second thing is growing personally. I've talked a little bit about growth. I won't go there, but I'm telling you, I moved from the stockroom to the corner office because for the last 17 years, I have intentionally developed a growth plan every single year. It is a, it is the single biggest difference maker in my life. Now, Mike, you know this, for all of you listening Shell out. I won't offend you, but I'm a person of faith. So when I say that's the most important thing, God made a way. Because if you knew this redhead, you would go, "What is John? Ma- what is John Maxwell <laughs> thinking? Asking him to lead his company? So it's a God thing. So everybody out there, faith or not, trust me, it's a God thing. I'm a, I am proof of that. But growing personally is is the biggest impact. The third thing is to keep options. Um, a, a leader that gets so regimented with plan A, can't shift when option B comes along. And in our company, we, we've grown, Mike, since with my leadership of the last seven years, we've grown 573% at wow. the bottom line and the top line. I mean, we've had significant growth, just explosive growth, um, and that's because of an option-oriented mindset number 4 is make memories. I travel a lot. We haven't talked much about my family, but man, we could spend a whole podcast talking about mm. my wonderful, mm. incredible family. Uh I don't have I don't have as much time as some have with them. When I do have time, we are making memories. I am a making memory machine for my family and for my teammates. Uh, and then number 5 is think realistically. Always be thinking realistically um on not Negatively, not pessimistically uh but not overly optimistically either let your thinking be uh
0: founded in realism What does that do for you not that's that's an interesting one there and that that one I expected to hear what does that what does thinking realistically do for you as a dreamer and a driver?
1: So so John, John is the dreamer and he is the driver. And a little bit of this is the second chair mm-hmm. discovery for me. If John and I both are thinking opportunistically, if John and I both are thinking about pursuing every opportunity that comes along, then I think we would perhaps have a lot of, of sporadic growth. But not sustainable growth. Mm-hmm. And so when when John is out dreaming, thinking, seizing opportunity and and to serve John well, I began early in my CEO career, I began to try to explo- exploit every opportunity he brought to the table. And I did it more with an, a desire to please and a yeah. desire to respond. To where he was rather than settling down and making sure that we had the capacity as an organization to do it. So I didn't learn that from John, as it's John's role. I learned the value of
0: being that for John in the role that I serve. That's that is super. And I love how, in that, Mark, you talked about being a person of faith. So here you are, incredible leader, incredible driver. It, incredible at what this industry is you've been put into. How does your faith play out day to day in helping you become who you are today?
1: Yeah, and I, I get the privilege, Mike, uh, as you do. I get the privilege in being in a lot of environments that faith is either different, it's indifferent, or faith is different in that it, they don't, they didn't have the same perspective of faith I had growing up. So I, one is, is I understand the concept of how personal faith is and how abusive faith can be when it's tried to force, when I try to force my lens on someone else's perspective, on somebody else's eyes. And so faith, faith is extraordinarily important to me. I don't start a day that I don't, pray over and think and commune with my creator over my schedule. It's a daily discipline of mine. I I, I just go, okay, where do I need to be on? What is the moment today to where I need to decrease and God, you increase in my life, in my orb, in my environment? I ask that every single day. And at the end of the day, I ask every single day, hey, God, did we, did we do that? Okay. Did I partner with you? Okay. Here, did I get out of the way so you could get in the way? And, and so we just have this kind of little quick little conversation. So it's incredibly important to me, but let me, let me say this. It's so important to me that I want to make sure that I edify with it and not correct with it. John makes this statement, Mike, you've probably made it to a lot of people are making it. I don't even know who to attribute it to originally. But we people of faith, it's time for us to connect with people rather than correct people. Mm, that's so good. And every single day I ask that my faith be a tool for connection and not a tool for correction. I grew up 30 years when you and I were laughing about our, our background before we started recording today. I grew up to where, man, there was an exhilarated feeling as a youth pastor when I could correct somebody that's that right. didn't do it right. Mm. Man, I went, yes, I'm a champion of the faith today. That's right. Man, I wake up sometimes, Mike, in the middle of the night at 49 years old. I wake up and think about something I did from stage to correct a young person rather than connect with a young person. And it it keeps me up at night. So I, I went on a little tangent there, Mike. But, man, my faith, I want it to be, even with those of you on this call, on the podcast today, I don't want anything I'm saying right now to repulse or to repel you. I really want it to intrigue you, um, not to join my faith, just like my faith is, but for it to intrigue you to find your place of spiritual perspective. Because we're nobody denies even atheists. Nobody denies that we're spiritual beings. Mm. I really want to challenge people to to find a way um, to really awaken that call that's in all of us to strengthen our faith.
0: You know, it's so funny. I I had a Bible study two days ago. Back in 2001 or two, I started a Bible study for executives called the Executive Bible Study. It's for guys in leadership. And I was green behind Mm -hmm. the ears, man. I was young. And I remember going to a guy and saying, man, I would love to host a Bible study at your dealership. And he said, we'll do it as long as we'll talk about the Bible, not about business. He said, we can go to a seminar, learn about business. I want to learn more about the Bible. And I remember the very first study we ever did was on the Beatitudes. And Matthew mm-hmm. 5, we were breaking it apart. And that guy that day in his dealership made a really interesting statement. He said, you know what's so funny is all of those traits that are listed, there the humility, the leading from your brokenness. He said, those aren't traits that may get you to the top and notice but they're the traits everybody wants in their leader when they're at the top. And boy, I'll never forget that. And, And I thought, you know what? There really is a lot in God's word about what it means to be a leader and what it means to be the, and you can be that best in your industry and still be a spiritual leader. You know, who, who is somebody you've looked to through the years, Mark, and and you look at their leadership and you go, that person got it. They were that person that, you know, helped connect people, not just correct people. Who are some guys you've looked to and said, man, if my leadership looks a little bit like theirs, I have done well. Anybody stand out to you? Well, i, I got to give two obvious, and then I'll give
1: maybe one not not so obvious. And I'll talk quickly about the obvious. But John Maxwell, I mean, the closer mm. I get to him, Mike, and I am pretty close. In fact, Margaret, his wife, calls me the other woman because I'm with him all the time. <laughs> I travel with John 80, 80% of the time he's on the road. I'm with him. Um, and the closer I get to him, the more real mm. and authentic That's his good. values are. And, uh, it, it is good. It's really cool to see that we have so many models of leaders that, that, that are not necessarily that way, but his value is who he is. is really there. The other is my late father. Uh, just in the last uh, six weeks, my father passed away mm. 88 years of age. And he taught me the value of people. He used to say this all the time. Again, we talked a little bit about faith today, but he used to say, Mark, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is people. Mm. So. Make sure you keep people as the priority, and um, so those two men are really um, really, really important to me, but I'll tell you, I have a friend's name is Richard. Um, this guy has demonstrated a love in the most adverse circumstances of anybody that I know. If I looked at some of his life in the course of of his life. Um, And and things that that he has been through, my response in those times would have been starkly different than his. His love, his embracing, his forgiveness, his extension of grace, um, his ability to go after and lead things with a high drive. Mm. But when it comes to the main things of life, be able to come in and and use a grace and extend a, a commitment to connection
0: that is uh it, it inspires me every time i get to see that that's so good you know I, I didn't know that mark about your dad i lost my dad two years ago and you'd think well, at the age we are in life it wouldn't be hard but it doesn't make it any easier does yeah. it good night it doesn't it doesn't
1: and, as my, you my mom you know i'm sorry let me give no, you no go thing. for my it mom, yeah please go mom, well, well so 69 and a half years of marriage, January 2nd, wow. they would have celebrated 70, wow. 70 years. There's not a lot. There's not a lot to mourn, except I can't call him four times a week like I always did. I can't yeah. tell him about our house and my daughter playing her clarinet. I can't get those things out to him. Um, but But my mom, who is, I mean... I tell this all the time. My dad got recognized and voted on and accepted as the leader in most situations. But make no mistake, I lived with him for 25 years, was around him for 48 years. Mom was pulling the levers. Yeah. Mom yeah. is the leader here. And so it's fun. And I don't know where, where your mom was in, in all of this, but my mom, my it's, it's, it's very interesting to watch someone after 69 and a half years that's 89 mm. adapt. And uh, I'm just watching again leadership in action. Once again, leaders step up even in the most difficult times. Boy, that's a common denominator of great leaders.
0: That's so good. Yeah, you know, I think back to all the years I've pastored, and people lose parents, and yeah, I I remember the very first time we ever experienced when we sent our kids off to college. All of a sudden, now when I spoke to people who sent their kids off to college, I felt that feeling differently than I had when I patted him on the back going, Oh, it's going to be great. They're going to be great. You're going to be great. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And then losing a parent. And then my mom passed two months after my dad craziest 60 years of marriage. And two months later she passed and had been healthy. um, and and I know we closed on a house. We're moving here in a couple of weeks after being on the house for a long time. And it's weird, even as a forty nine year old guy, or I was forty seven, forty eight at the time, wanting to call your parents and tell them, "Hey, yeah. we're moving houses yeah. and celebrate with them," you know. And that's the beauty that's the beauty of a godly parent is they left that legacy in you that you wanted to be and I know they must have been so proud and your mom must be so proud of you too and all that you've done because your family's a big deal to you and you you've hit on that a little bit when you think Mark one day somebody one of your children they're on a podcast or your grandson is on a podcast and he's talking about you and somebody says, well, tell me, you know, I heard that he did all these things. Tell me what he was really like. What do you want your, your children or your grandchild to say about you? You, so I got the great. I love this question. By the way, our
1: paths are way too parallel for us just to be talking first time. We're moving in two weeks to a new house after are you really? in our current house too. We we need to get off the air and just go oh, lament to each other about did. what our wife have just put us through with all these picks and choices. That you is the anyway, gum truth got, right there. <laughs> I got the greatest compliment uh, about four months ago. It was Steph uh, Macy, my. Now twelve year old was finishing up sixth grade middle school, and um, she's finishing up sixth grade. And for years, she's wanted to be an architect, and then she also wanted has uh, thought a lot about caring for animals, a veterinarian. But John Maxwell always gives her, her time. She she reads all of John's books. She loves to read. She's doing really good in school. So John's kind of running joke with her is when are you going to get done with school so I can fire your dad and you can take his place? And Macy, Macy always responds back. She's very fun-loving. She says, not soon enough because you need some real help in there. And she's just got this really <laughs> cool sense of humor. But she got up uh, in sixth grade at career day and she says, you know, for all of my life, I've wanted to be an architect. I've wanted to perhaps be a veterinarian. She says, but the older I get, the more that I realize I think I want to be a CEO because I want to make a difference around the world like my dad is making. And, I, don't, I you know, I travel a lot. My family, my family is so engaged with me. They're so a part of what we do. We've got some real disciplined approaches to make sure they stay engaged as I travel. But a little girl who loves her dad, she loves me being around still. That's a good thing. I know seventh and eighth grade may change that. But right now, she really loves me around. But yet, she has not become hard toward the difficulty this puts on my family. Actually, she wants to model it and emulate it. And if anything that I would want my family to say about me, I would want them to say, he was so effective
0: that I want to be effective like him. That that would be it. That's so good. That is so good. Well, Mark, it has been a blessing and an honor to get to spend time with you today. And I want you to know we are fans. We are pulling for you and man, finish, finish strong. Like you've run the race already because you are, you are out there on the front lines, making a difference, buddy. Hey, thank you, Mike. And and you know, in John's world, we get
1: a lot of opportunities, we get a lot of things to do, but when this idea of this opportunity to come hang with you for an hour and impact the people that you're impacting, it was a no-brainer for me, and I'll tell you why. And I'm going to challenge those of you listen. I already said, don't be a trainee, be a transformer. And, Mike, I know, again, you, you bring some incredible leaders, this Lynch with a leader format, some incredible leaders. Gang, if you could do one thing today, and it's not for yourself, I hope you picked up a few things from Mike and I that you can do for yourself. But the thing you need to do for others is you need to get them involved in this community that Mike has started with Lynch with a leader. Everyone listening to this today forward, if not this podcast, because that sounds self-serving, forward one of Mike's recent podcasts mm. to somebody and get them into this learning community. It will change their lives. They will thank you for it. And you will finally, you will then do something for someone else other than yourself. So Mike, thanks, thanks for letting me be a part, my friend.
0: I hope you enjoyed my time with Mark. Man, what a what a great guy. You know, what I'm fascinated about by so many of these people, I was talking to a good friend the other day and they said, do you know everybody you talk to? And I really don't. But by the end of the call, I feel like I do. And I think the reason for that is they have a passion to equip others and they have a passion to take what the God has done for them, in them and through them and make sure that others have access to it. Mark, you can hear the passion in his voice to help others be the very best they were created to be. And today, I know that through our time with Mark, I'm a better leader for it, and I hope that you are a better leader for it. Mark just has an amazing ability, and if he's around your area speaking, make sure and get out and hear him. What an incredible guy. You know, it's so funny um, the Dave Ramsey Company and and the John Maxwell Company have both been so gracious to us on Lynch with a Leader to provide their personalities and access. We had Chris Goatee earlier from the Maxwell team. We'll have another one of the Maxwell team later this year on Lynch with a Leader. And these guys are just honored to pass on what God is doing through them and, and in them on to you. So I hope you will reciprocate. When a young leader in your community needs a little bit of your time, I hope you'll take it, and then I hope you'll pass on what God is doing through you. One of the other great ways of passing on what we're learning is to share these episodes. If these are of benefit to you, man, take a second and pass them on, would you? Share it with a friend, share it with a coworker, share it with a family member that maybe is on uh, that journey to being the leader that they were created to be. Well, once again, thanks for joining us. And until next time, I hope that you go out and become the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. In our next episode, we're going to get to sit down with Nashville recording artist Dave Barnes. Dave is a phenomenal leader in the music industry in Nashville. And, man, Dave's just making his mark, not with a Christian moniker over him, not in the Christian music circuit, but in the circuit of incredible artists who are using their gifts for a reason bigger than them. You are gonna love Dave Barnes. Funny, insightful, serious at times, but man, what a story of how God is using him in the space and the place that he's been put. Well, until then, thanks again for joining us, and I can't wait to talk to you again next time.